welcome to the Brain Break Room. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Taylor, and today we are going to talk about climate change, but from kind of a almost historical lens. And I will tell you kind of the serious and silly reasons why I thought that this would be a good starting point. So first, the more serious reason is that climate change is really scary, and the current amount of research is absolutely overwhelming because there are very, very few parts of ecology, just very few environments and very few applications where climate change does not have a major impact. So starting from where climate change research is now is kind of not an option for all of those reasons. The silly reason is, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a Shrek fan. I, I've watched Shrek quite a bit um, and I absolutely love the music. <laughs> I still listen to it to this day. And there's a, a Smash Mouth song in that movie called All Star. And it references climate change. My world's on fire. How about yours? That's the way I like it. Yeah, you know, you know this song. <laughs> I didn't have to sing it for you. But that made me that made me think back to some of the other songs from when I was growing up that reference climate change in these different ways and made me think of kind of how long have we been, we as a general society um in the global society how long have we been aware and how long have scientists been aware that climate change is going on and I did a quick little search in this absolutely wonderful article normally I just um, cite my sources in the show notes but today I'm going to essentially walk you through this article beat by beat because I just think it's it's so wonderfully researched and well done. So it's an article in JSTOR Daily called How 19th Century Scientists Predicted Global Warming by Clive Thompson and it was published in December of 2019. So That kind of gives it away right in the uh, title right there, but it's been since the 1800s that scientists have predicted that something like this could happen. And as you'll kind of see as I walk through the different scientists who've made a contribution to these ideas, it wasn't that in you know, 1820, they were worried about global warming. It was more in 1820, they were asking questions about thermodynamics and wondering, like, how did all those ice ages happen? And it actually led to kind of the basic understanding for how more CO2 in the air could end up heating up the planet. So that's where we're going to start today. We're going to go back to Victorian era scientist. It's fun. Okay, here we go. Let's get started. So first on this distinguished list of scientists is Joseph Fourier. So you might have heard of the Fourier transform, maybe. Maybe. Um, he's a French mathematician and physicist, so some of his key contributions are still around and still used in a lot of different applications. 
But in this case, what we're going to talk about today, he was really interested why the earth was as warm as it was because he was thinking about how much energy we're getting from the sun and it's like that is not enough to get to kind of the current livable temperatures. So um, in a 19, not 19, I'm so used to saying 19, in an 18 24 paper, so 200 years ago almost, 198 years ago, he hypothesized that gases in the atmosphere must be creating kind of barriers that end up trapping the heat inside, allowing for more warming than just the kind of direct energy from the sun. So that's pretty neat. And then in 1837, he suggested that over a really long period of time the atmosphere could end up trapping more heat based on kind of natural changes by that are happening on earth and also human activity and also human activity in 1837 he just we got from why is the earth so warm? It can't just be the direct energy from the sun to, oh, the atmosphere must be trapping it in, to, oh, yeah, and humans can contribute to that. I think that's a pretty impressive leap for this scientist to make. I mean, completely predicting where we are now. The quote from that paper is the establishment and progress of human society and the action of natural powers may, in extensive regions, produce remarkable changes in state of the surface, the distribution of the waters, and the great movements of the air. Such effects in the course of some centuries must produce variations in the mean temperature for some places. What? What? The man is describing what is happening now. Very, very impressive. So he basically established that climate change, what we're seeing now, could occur, you know, in theory. And then the next step was made, actually, by an American female, I don't like how I said female, (laughs) a woman who is American amateur scientist. So in the 1850s, Eunice Newton Foote, I I love her name. One, Eunice. Two, Newton, referencing Isaac, maybe. We don't know. And then Foote. What what more do you need? So she was an amateur scientist and also a suffragette, so really pushing for women's rights. Though I don't know about all women's rights. Anyway, we'll circle back to that. But she, for the first time, tested the ability of different gases to trap heat. So wondering, okay, so if the atmosphere is trapping heat, what in the atmosphere? Because the atmosphere is made up a lot of different gases. So she took little cylinders, put a thermometer in the bottom, and filled them with different combinations of air. Thin air, thick air, humid air, air with CO2 in it, And then put them in the sun to heat up or in the shade to cool down. This, I mean, this truly sounds like like a more sophisticated version of a science experiment that you would do in elementary school. I mean, it very much is like, what will help the plant 
grow more if I put it in the sun or in the shade or in this little cylinder with CO2. Um, it's it's very kind of basic in terms of the skills and the logic, but it's also really sound. So she found that the cylinder with the CO2 and the water vapor became hotter and retained its heat longer in the shade. So air with water in it and CO2 are heat-trapping gases. Boom. And, 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 she wrote up her experiment in 1856. So come on, she was able to get published too. That's amazing. Um, And once again, we have a scientist that's working in theory, a scientist that's working in like a very kind of basic rudimentary understanding of just the physics and thermodynamics and she said quote an atmosphere of that gas would give our earth a high temperature so she kind of was saying you know I found this in this little cylinder jar but I bet it could apply to our entire earth in atmosphere and she was right okay So, remember how it's like, yes, Eunice, publishing, amazing. Well, um, her colleagues, her scientist colleagues did not agree. Um, That was wonderful and great. So, women weren't actually allowed to speak at the American Association for Advancement of Science at the time. So, it was read by a male colleague And people just didn't really take her that seriously because most of the climate work was being done in Europe. And so she was American, not from Europe. She was a woman and she was also an amateur scientist. So her work was kind of largely ignored for a while. But who, whose work was not ignored? An Irish scientist named John Tyndall. He did essentially the exact same line of testing that our good friend Eunice Newton Foote did. So he did experiments to see what gases were heat trappers. And now this is where there's a little bit of um, some you know, good old scientist drama, which there is so much scientist drama. Tyndall wrote in later on, um, once, you know, it's pointed out that Eunice Foote had already done this. Tyndall was like, Eunice, I never heard of her. (laughs) I had no idea this woman was working on this thing. So, you know, it can be true. Maybe he hadn't heard of the work. Maybe he deliberately ignored the work that she had already done so he could write his own and promote it as kind of being more unique and that sort of thing. We don't know. But he did use slightly more sophisticated methods than foot, but ended up finding the same thing. He found that water vapor and CO2 were super good at trapping in heat. And specifically, he was able to calculate that CO2 could trap a thousand times more heat than just dry air. So air without water vapor in it. 
which is uh, pretty, pretty incredible. Also, just to just to give you an idea of kind of where these experiments were in the context of the time, um, then scientists thought that if you can see through gases, they're visually transparent, then they are also transparent to heat and that heat would just go through and they couldn't actually be trapping it. So that is kind of, that was a big part of CO2 being heat trapping was a really big deal in the 1860s because people thought, well, we can see through it, so can't heat go through it? Nope, nope. Just another one of those assumptions that it takes a lot of data for scientists to kind of work their heads around, which makes sense. Okie doke. Now, we are jumping ahead to the very end of the 19th century, um, 1896, when a Swedish physicist, let me see if I can get this name, Zvante, that's probably not it, um, Arrhenius, I, fe- I feel good about Arrhenius, so I'm just going to say a Swedish physicist with the last name Arrhenius with the first name that I cannot say created the first actual model of climate change. So he was interested in why ice ages happened. I think I would be too. It's it's something that you don't like to think about. What if it all of a sudden got really, really cold? Would the mammoths come back? <laughs> that probably wasn't the concern. But yeah, just wondering how did we get such a drastic change in an environment? So what he did was calculate how much carbon dioxide, CO2, it would take to change global temperatures. He ended up doing all of these calculations by hand. And a historian estimated that he must have done between 10,000 and 100,000 calculations to get to this answer, which is just astonishing. And he predicted if you doubled the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, it would raise the temperature by five to six degrees Celsius. And even now, with like our supercomputers and everything, we're getting about the same answer, which is really, really, really astonishing. But he also predicted that it would take 30, what? 3,000 years for CO2 levels in the atmosphere to rise by 50%. But, but, but with the Industrial Revolution, fossil fuel burning, all of that stuff, we went up by 30% in just 100 years instead of 3,000 years. So, um... Yeah, I mean, scientists, he was pretty good in terms of the math part and how, you know, the change in CO2 would affect the temperature of the planet, but a little less good, less good, a little worse at predicting the whole human society large change in what we are putting out into the world part, which, you know, can't can't figure out everything. And he actually was most worried about volcanoes 
changing things up. But there you have it. That was, let's see, from about 1820 to 1896, we went from the hypothesis that perhaps the gases in the atmosphere could be trapping heat in, making the earth warmer than it would be without the atmosphere, to identifying the exact gas that was contributing to trapping the heat most, to (laughs) actually doing a calculation on how changing the enrichment of that gas in the atmosphere would affect the temperature of the overall planet. Wow. Wow. Actually, guys, science is so cool. Um, and as as you can probably tell, just from the scientists that are mentioned in the article, it, it was a pretty um, global effort. And all of these people had kind of a lot of different reasons for doing this type of research, which is always interesting when you kind of go back and put all the pieces together. Scientists that would never have thought they were working on the same problem actually are. So that's pretty neat too. And there you have it. This is the historical account. This is how our kind of first model for climate change and our first understanding of how heat gets trapped by gases and also some predictions that humans could contribute to it. So that is where we're going to start our climate change theory. Thank you so much for listening, for hanging with me through that break. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, email me at brainbreakroompod at gmail.com. See the show notes for a link to sign up to the newsletter if you are interested. And with that, I hope you have a great day and I'll see you back here next time in the Brain Break Room. Bye.